the teams you care about. I've got Pats, I've got Sox, Bruins, Celtics, UVM. Where do we want to start? The stories that matter to you. A huge shocker out of Foxborough, Mac Jones, the quarterback of your New England Patriots. This is your home for New England sports. I admit it, I'm a card-carrying member of both the High and Bloom and Cam Newton fan clubs. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Playoff day here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. It is a Tuesday. We have a full show tonight with a little bit of bonus content coming your way. We're going up until 7.08 today. Reason why, Red Sox baseball, playoff game number one of hopefully many. AL wildcard game, winner goes to play Tampa, loser goes home. Red Sox, Yankees, one game. It's going to be fun, and we're going to add another chapter into this great rivalry. We do have a very busy day today on the show and on the podcast channel. So Patriots radio broadcaster, our friend Bob Sosi, will be with us at 545 for his weekly check-in on the Pats. He'll tell us about, uh, you know, last week Bob said, I don't, you know, hey, Brady coming back to town, eh, just another game. We'll see if it was really just another game or if Bob felt a little bit different once he was in it. We also did an interview today that's on the podcast channel with Gary Sheffield Jr., the son of Gary Sheffield. He's a sports radio or sports media personality over at Outkick.com. So we had some fun talking about today's Red Sox-Yankees game, about his dad's career. You're going to hear some of that sprinkled in throughout the day. And we did our Tuesday conversation with former UVM Hoops coach Tom Brennan. That's on the podcast channel as well. We've got some stuff from TB. You can always get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. You are locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. Let's waste no time. Lego. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts of the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. With locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. I ask you this simply. I ask the audience the first question. We're two and a half hours away from first pitch. Going into tonight, how do you feel? Red Sox Nation, how do you feel going into this game? One game against the New York Yankees. You're playing it at home. How do you feel? 802-585-3026. Both of you finished with 92 wins. You won almost an equal number of games against each other in the regular season. These teams have been equal, even though they got there in different ways. They've been equal a lot of the year. How do you feel? 802-585-3026. I'll tell you how I feel going into tonight's game. And it feels weird to say this, given how the Red Sox have played for the last couple weeks but heck for the last couple of months I feel oddly confident in the Red Sox going into tonight's game I know how good the Yankees lineup is specifically with reference to Judge and Stanton and now we know that J.D. Martinez isn't playing for the Red Sox and that's a blow but I still feel good about the Red Sox chances tonight and there's a few reasons why Garrett Cole is on the mound for the Yankees. He's certainly a great pitcher with electric stuff. But he has struggled lately 
and in his career at Fenway, and he may have an injury. All three of those things concocted together make me confident that this team can get to Cole and get him off his game. That's three pretty good reasons to think that they might be able to get to the Yankees' best pitcher. It doesn't mean they're going to, but it does mean that I've got some basis here for my thought process that this team can do something against Cole. Over his last five starts, Garrett Cole 2-2 two two with a 6-1-5 ERA. For the better part of the last three and a half weeks, Garrett Cole has been below average. 2-2 two and two with a 6-1-5. And this team has had everything to play for. He was going for the Cy Young. So he should have been locked in for these games. This was not like, eh, let me flip on the lights when the playoffs are here. No, he was pitching for real things, and he struggled. So he has struggled lately. He does not come into this game on a high note. 2-2 two and two with a 6-1-5 over his last five starts. At Fenway this year, three starts, 1-2, 6-1-9 ERA. He did pitch well the last time out here, but I like the first two better. 1-2 with a 6-1-9. Struggled last three and a half weeks. Struggled at Fenway for a majority of the season. And then there's that injury concern, that hamstring. Dan Plesak of the MLB Network was talking about those concerns today. Uh, I'm hoping that he's healthy. He came out of a start a couple of weeks ago with a hamstring issue. And he hasn't quite been the same since. When you watch his work, one thing stuck out to me. The curveball-fastball combination. The hook and the high fastball staying on plane. And I felt the last handful of starts, that fastball right there that rode up in the zone, it's starting to leak out over home plate. Look, that's some inside baseball mechanical stuff there, pitch shaping. What you need to know, Plesak, a guy who played the game and played it at a very high level, is recognizing the injury. He recognizes it as a concern, and he recognizes the impact of that injury on Cole's performance. When you talk about fastballs leaking back over the middle of the plate, that's exactly what the Red Sox want. They want Cole. Look, 100 on the corner with a nasty slider, you're not hitting. 98 in the middle of the plate when you're ahead of the count and you can't use the slider, you can hit that. And I have confidence the Red Sox will do enough against Cole tonight to make life difficult for him and subsequently difficult for the Yankees. Recent struggles, Fenway struggles, injury concerns. I'm not buying that Garrett Cole is going to come in and dominate tonight. I think the Red Sox get to him. That's reason number one why I feel confident. Reason number two, the Yankees will not have their best lineup available to them tonight. DJ LeMay, who's now on the injured list, that's a guy who hits 270 and has a 350 on base percentage. So that guy, out of the lineup. Kyle Higashioka is going to be in the lineup because Cole throws better to him as a catcher than Gary Sanchez. So Sanchez is out of the lineup. Say what you want about his batting average. That's 23 home runs that are gone as well. So LeMahieu out, Sanchez out. And then a bottom of the order that really feels like a bottomless pit for the Yankees. I mean, Brett Gardner, Brett Gardner, what, 220 batting average. Uh, Andrew Velasquez is a career 184 hitter. He's starting tonight at shortstop. 
The Red Sox can't let Stanton and Judge beat them. And if they don't, I don't know where the rest of the lineup is that's going to beat them. Gardner shouldn't do much. Higashioka shouldn't do much. Gio Urshela is banged up, maybe can't do much. Velasquez shouldn't do much. And Joey Gallo, who's hitting cleanup, is two for his last 23. This lineup is filled with holes that you can exploit. As long as Judge and Stanton don't beat you, I feel good about Nathan Evaldi's chances to go after this lineup. It's not as deep. It's not as long as it, we thought it might be a couple of weeks ago. LeMahieu not being there, huge. Sanchez's power not being there, huge. Gardner, Velasquez, Higashioka all being in the lineup, huge. That's a benefit for the Red Sox. And Gary Sheffield Jr., son of 500 home run club Gary Sheffield, Yankees fan, covers sports for OutKick. He agrees with me that the Red Sox should be able to exploit this lineup. If the Yankees one through five hitters don't score and they don't get on base, the Yankees are not going to score tonight. Mm. And that's whether it doesn't matter that Aaron Judge, all these guys have good numbers against Uvalde. The It's not going to matter if you're putting guys in with one out and two outs with nobody on and Gary Sanchez up. Those guys are not doing damage when there's no traffic on the bases. You need to clog the base paths. You need to make the game easier for those guys because, like you said, it is a black hole. It's a black hole. That's where that ends up. It's a black hole at the bottom of that lineup. So if there's not traffic on the bases, those guys aren't going to create a lot of traffic on their own. And the number three reason I feel good about the Red Sox, simply, they're at home. They're at home. It's a fan base that hasn't seen a playoff game since 2018. I think the environment is going to be special. I think everyone is eager to get the Yankees sweep from a couple of weeks ago off their minds. I know the Yankees have played really well against the Red Sox lately, right? They dominated the back half of the season schedule against against the Sox. But the Red Sox went 49-32 and 32 at home this year. I, I can't not feel confident. I can't not feel confident. But you know what? Despite what I think, everybody's on the Yankees. And if I were a Red Sox player, they have ridden this nobody thinks we're good thing all year or everyone's counted us out. Today, everyone is truly counting them out. The Vegas odds favor the road team Yankees. Yankees favored in Vegas. On ESPN.com, 36 Major League Baseball experts, 27 of them, picked the Yankees to win. 75% of the experts picked the Yankees. I would love this if I'm the Red Sox. You've played this narrative all year that everybody hates us and everybody thinks we're bad. Well, today it's being proven. And you can prove them wrong. And I think they're going to. I don't know how the game is going to play out, but I think the Red Sox are going to win it. If they can get to Cole, and I think they can, and they can score early, and they can just avoid Stanton and Judge being the ones that beat you, I think the Red Sox win this game. They're at home. Cole struggles at Fenway. He may be injured. I, I think we're headed for a Red Sox win. I do. And we're, we're going to find out about 8 o'clock tonight. We'll have the pregame show for you at 7.08. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, he's going to be with us next. Last week he told us Tom Brady coming to town was just another game. Did he really feel that way once he was in it? What was it like 
when he was at Gillette Stadium. Did it feel different? Bob Sosi answers. That's next on BEV. He's called the best of the Patriots past. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. But now, it's time for these Patriots to bring a bright future to Foxborough. To Myers on the crossing route, turns along the sideline, inside the pylon. Touchdown, Patriots! Stewart takes the snap, he's looking over the middle, moves up, moves up, he's hit. The ball floats toward the corner of the end zone, picked off by J.C. Jackson. Here comes the rookie, Matt Jones. Welcome to Foxborough. It's the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Tuesday on WDEV-AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show, all 90 minutes today, going up until 7 o'clock. Red Sox baseball, playoff game tonight, Sox and Yankees. We'll have the coverage for you beginning at 7.08, but we also got to talk about the Patriots as well, who are now 1-3 after the loss on Sunday night. And joining us is the voice of the Pats. It's Bob Sosi. Bob, thanks for being with us as always. And uh, last week you told us <laughs> you thought that Brady coming to town was going to be just another game, and it wasn't even as big as regular season division title on the line games. After living it, did it feel different? Or does last week's assessment still stand? Well, let's let's clarify. I had to approach it as if it were another game. <laughs> I walked to the stadium extra early to beat the traffic on Route 1 and tried to get into the stadium before <laughs> the massive media and game day personnel got there with twice the number of credentials issued for that game than even playoff games of the past. And, of course, hearing the chants of Brady, Brady around the stadium when Tom came out for warm-ups and seeing the throng of media who were cleared from the stadium tunnels because of COVID restrictions, you know, generally you would see media down in the tunnel area where the players come in, make their entrance, whether off the visiting team buses or as Patriots as they drive into the parking lot and come through the bowels of Gillette Stadium to make their way to the locker. You'd find photographers you know, lining those hallways trying to get the shots. You see them on the game day shows or on social media on Sunday mornings. Well, that area was cleared out except for NFL Films and NBC. So you had this huge mass of reporters, you know, a big glob of them, including myself, <laughs> uh, gathered around the tunnel that leads to the field. And of course, it was the opposite end of where Brady usually makes his entrance. Yeah. He usually comes in from the corner where the lighthouse is and then runs down the sideline and then pumps his fist at the enclosed end of Gillette Stadium, right near the Brady's corner sign. At least I say he usually does. He usually did. Yeah. Not to JC, of course, but not this time. He came in that other tunnel and the other direction down the sideline with Blaine Gabbert, and, and uh, they're awaiting on his arrival at entrance. Finally, uh, were you know dozens, maybe even hundreds of reporters and photographers uh, waiting for him, and I was among them. So yes, it was very different. Uh, the game itself. Uh, was uh, a bit of a grinder in in terms of the offensive productions teams, you know, fighting for points. Uh, the uh, Bucks getting into the red zone, the Patriots forcing them to kick field goals. Mac Jones, you know, sparking his offense when the Patriots couldn't get the run game going, and then finding a tremendous rhythm with 19 consecutive completions. That set the stage, of course, for great football theater in the fourth quarter, and, and it was thrilling. It still is not as important as a playoff game or even a game that decides. You know who gets into the playoffs and i think one of the games i might have referenced last week 
Uh, it was the Week 17 game between the Bears and the Packers some years ago where Aaron Rodgers, who had been hurt, finally uh, came back for the Packers and rescued uh, their playoff hopes, and they won that game, and the Bears were left out of the postseason. Well, none of that was riding on the line in this game, but it was still a huge night, still a great atmosphere. I thought the fans were tremendous. They gave Brady the reception he deserved, chanting his name, and then they roared for Mac Jones when he took the field, and they booed the Bucks when it was time to get the game started. You know, I said yesterday, I – I think I'm in the minority, but I do take a moral victory out of what we saw on Sunday night. I thought there was a lot of positive. I love the way that Mac Jones played in the face of pressure, you know, actual pressure from the Bucks defensive line and outside pressure from all the noise as well. When you look at Sunday night, do you focus on the positive of what went right, or do you look at the plays left on the table and the mistakes made that may have cost them the game? Well, I look at the mistakes as the kind of problems that have been self-inflicted that they need to correct. The fumble by J.J. Taylor when they had great field position early in the third quarter. I think that play gets lost because of the outcome ultimately hinging on a missed field goal from 56 yards out. If Taylor doesn't fumble on a screenplay in the third quarter, maybe the Patriots drive in and they build a two-score lead as opposed to clinging at that point to a narrow one-point lead. Mistakes like false starts, holding calls, the missed calls on the offensive line, snap counts, protection calls, the lead to a free rusher down the middle of the defense, hitting Matt Jones and forcing the interception that he threw. Those problems still exist, not to the extent as the first three weeks. I thought overall the Patriots played far better, but they have to eliminate those mistakes, particularly in two weeks when they play the Dallas Cowboys, if they truly want to get the season turned around. But I'm with you for the most part, because I think most importantly of all, we discovered again that mac jones can meet the moment the mac jones has tremendous poise for a rookie and i think even a veteran considering yeah. what he was up against last week you mentioned the outside pressure as well as the literal pressure from the tampa bay buccaneers the patriots inability to run the ball they put the that forced them to put the game on his shoulders and he spread the ball out and he orchestrated the offense beautifully and at the same time of course you know held up well, looking across the field, as much as you might have tried to avoid any eye contact or watch the Buccaneers offense, nonetheless, that's Tom Brady over there. You've heard the fans chanting his name. You know the history. You've studied him. You watched him as a kid, and now you're going toe-to-toe. And frankly, you know, for long stretches of that game, at least you know, relatively speaking against the other team's defense, Matt Jones was the better quarterback at times in that game. Bob Sosie, voice of the Patriots, with us every single Tuesday right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Bob, you mentioned the, the running game issues, and they certainly had them on Sunday to the tune of negative one yards rushing in that game. Now that we've seen that Mac Jones can handle it, do they get away from the philosophy we thought they would employ of running the ball a lot and, and kind of let Mac cook, or is that a one-game, one-off? Well, we just heard from Josh McDaniels a few moments ago as you and I record this conversation. I was on the conference called the Zoom call with Patriots assistant coaches, and he said that's not a sustainable way to go about an entire season. I think there are a number of factors here at play, Brady. Number one, they've faced two very good rushing defenses. New Orleans is outstanding. Tampa Bay is even better. Nobody's really been able to run with any success against Tampa Bay. You didn't even see really the Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott. And, uh, you know, they're great backfield. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they didn't even try to run uh, against uh, the uh, Buccaneers in week one. The Rams certainly had problems trying to run the ball. So I think 
you look at that, but then you also have to praise and maybe reassess the Patriots' personnel on the backfield. Sonny Michel is not here. He's been traded away to L.A. Ramadre Stevenson has been benched since his fumble in week one. J.J. Taylor gets out there for a couple of snaps. His first touch in the passing game, he fumbles. There's no James White, so there are trust issues when it comes to pass protection, which has meant that they've relied heavily on Brandon Bolden, you know, taking nothing away from him. I thought he played well against the Buccaneers, but nonetheless, this is an older back. He came into the league in 2012 and really is here, let's face it, primarily because of his special teams value. So I think those are factors, along with the offensive line, just not being as good, as productive, as efficient as we expected them to be. And I do think that they're going to have to clean up a lot of the mistakes up front, and that will lead to them being a much better running team down the road, particularly because they won't face rushing defenses as stout as the last two they faced uh, for the most part. They're going to face some good ones down the road, but nothing like the last two, I think. It's certainly not this week against the Houston Texans. So I think that they have they have to try to they have to try to overcome those growing pains, the issues for Stevenson and Taylor, and also, yeah, as we've talked about, they've got to clean up the problems on the offensive line. You know, you have called enough games that maybe you've seen this before. Maybe you and Zoe talked about it the other night. And I, I just have a question about Nick Folk's you know go ahead uh, field goal attempt. It was billed as fifty six yards. The line of scrimmage was reported as the thirty seven. That would make it a 54-yard kick. So was the line of scrimmage wrong and it was really the 39? Or when it's a far kick, will a kicker move back a little bit to allow him to, you know, to kick it lower and not get it blocked? Because I'm like, those two yards make a big difference. Where did they go? Well, that's a great question. Now, generally, I, I add 18 to the line of scrimmage. Okay. With a, with a field goal. It's interesting. I think in college, I always added 17. That was generally the mark off in the college game. The NFL is more like 18. And sometimes you, you get into that era where the ball's between the hash marks. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the official line of scrimmage is the one going forward, you know, the old round up as opposed to round down. Yeah. So, you know, that could be why the line of scrimmage was listed. That I have to go back. It's a great question that I that now makes me want to go back and, and just get a freeze frame, you know, the setup to that play. It's exactly where the ball was and where Jake Bailey set up. Initially, I called it 55 yards. And then as I saw Bailey put his knee down and set up for the spot, it looked like 56. Uh, you know, but it did make a huge difference in the end with that particular play. Yeah, I I'm fascinated. I would love to know the answer to that. Um, and you're right about the long distance kicks because you will drive the ball lower on a long distance kick and, and thereby give the opposition a better opportunity perhaps to block it. You know, I think the Patriots, by and large, did a great job at compartmentalizing and just playing the game yesterday, but the, or on Sunday, rather. But there was so much anticipation. How much relief do you think there is now that that game is over? I kind of feel like now we can just play football again, and we'll see if this team can turn it around and correct some of the mistakes they've been making. Do you get that sense? Yeah, Brady, and this relates to the question about moral victories, because I mentioned only Matt Jones, but I think for a number of guys who were in a position last week they were unaccustomed to, even some with playoff experience. You know, you look at Matt Judon, the way he brought it against the Buccaneers. To me, that's a tremendous side. Even yeah. though he's played, in, he's played in a lot of high-leverage games, of course, with the Baltimore Ravens, postseason and even huge regular season games. But, you know, the kind of buildup led to that Sunday night affair. And he showed his exasperation, a little irritation, last Thursday when asked for the sixth consecutive question <laughs> in the press conference about Tom Brady. And I think about some of the other players that, you know, are new to this environment, new to the Patriots. 
and new to the expectations. And particularly for a couple of guys who were not, you know, playing well at the time going into the game. Johnny Smith was coming off probably his worst performance as a professional the week before, and yet he caught a huge touchdown pass yeah. in that contest against the Buccaneers. And Hunter Henry caught a touchdown pass. And I think about, you know, some of the way some of the players and the way they responded to those circumstances. All the talk about Brady and truly trying to compartmentalize, trying to do more than pay lip service to the idea that we're just playing against another team. We're playing against the Tampa Bay team and not Tom Brady. And I thought they did a good job of going out there and competing and for the most part, like I said, played far better than we had seen in the first three weeks. So I take a lot of uh, encouragement, optimism you know, from what those guys showed us. But I also wonder this week, if somewhat there's that challenge, even though yep. they're a one and three football team, they're going up against a team in the Houston Texans who were walloped 40 to nothing. And everybody knows the circumstances with the Texans. And they have a rookie quarterback who uh, last week, I think, had more interceptions, two than completions in the first half. One, uh, the, the, the Texans average third down distance was 11 plus yards. Uh, they went three and out on virtually every offensive drive. And so they were really hammered at the hands of the Buffalo Bills. And they're going to go down to Houston for a noon kickoff, you know, against the struggling team that's in a total teardown rebuild after facing the defending Super Bowl champions with this you know, increased uh, intensity all week long, each day more attention paid to the game. And, you know, the, the, the press uh, numbers and the people that were there just to cover each player availability well this week it's going to be probably a lot different uh, of course the Patriots going down to Houston and then when they get into that stadium you know who, who knows what the atmosphere hmm. is going to be like so they're going to have they're going to have to generate I think a lot of emotion at game time but this week you know, this is where that focus where the process really gets tested and that's something Matt Slater talked about in his press availability on Monday when I asked him about the mix of new players, what he's discovered with all these different players. You have turnover every year in the NFL, but not the kind of numbers the Patriots have experienced this past year. And a thing he talked about was the process. Get back to playing consistent winning football, but you know, you, you really have to focus on the process. And I think that's really where they're tested this week. Bob, we got about 30 seconds left. You work in New England, you were born in New York. Red Sox or Yankees tonight, who you got? Brady, I was born in central New York as a, and bred as a Mets fan. Yeah. Uh, Red Sox eventually became my American League team thanks to TV 38 and the <laughs> dull tones of Ned Martin working at the time along with Ken Harrelson and later Bob Montgomery. So I adopted the Red Sox as my American League team. The Mets were my first team. The Yankees will never be my team. They're always <laughs> the last team. I'm just, I'm just fired up very quickly that you have this wild card, you know, back-to-back, AL-NL matchup of Red Sox-Yankees and the Cardinals-Dodgers. The aesthetics to those two games, four of the best uniforms in sports, but also you know, great traditional rivalries. So I'm thinking about Dave Roberts stealing second base against Mariano Rivera and the Yankees in the 4 LCS, and Ozzie Smith hitting the home run off Tom Niedenfuhrer in the 82 NLCS. Go crazy, folks. Bob, a longtime baseball broadcaster, always with a soft spot for America's pastime. So, Bob, we appreciate you, the voice of the Patriots, with us every single Tuesday here on DEV. And, Bob, we'll do it again in seven days. Brady, thanks. Absolutely. Bob's as excited as we are for playoff baseball. A ton 
of great stuff there on the Patriots, a lot of which the staff is already cutting up and we're going to react to in the 6 o'clock hour. And subsequently, we're going to react to some of it throughout the rest of the week as well. I did really like the nugget um, that he had from Josh McDaniels on not ditching the running game and then also liked his stuff on the mindset heading into Houston. So it is going to be different this week. We'll get to some of that in the 6 o'clock hour. But when we come back, we got a couple of listener questions I want to get to. J.D. Martinez isn't playing tonight for the Red Sox. I'm shocked that he's not. I'll tell you why. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and streaming. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on a Tuesday. We are an hour away from the pregame show for Red Sox-Yankees. We will take you directly up to that pregame show tonight, 7.08. The first pitch is just after 8 o'clock. Nathan Avaldi going up against Garrett Cole. Reminder to subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Just search for the Brady Farkas Show, and it will come up there. And You'll get every single episode to you for free every single day. I want to get into the J.D. Martinez stuff momentarily, but want to answer a couple of text line questions from the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Mackie in Burlington says, Brady, I'm a Sox fan, and I'm actually pretty nervous for tonight, unlike you, who, you know, I'm, as I said, I was confident. He goes, do you forget what Stanton did to us just a few weekends ago? Well, no, Mackie, I certainly don't forget that. I know, dueling three-run homers in consecutive days. I just hope the Red Sox tonight, and I think that they'll be able to limit the chances for Stanton and Judge to bat with guys on base. This lineup for the Yankees is not deep, as I told you right off the top of the show. Brett Gardner, 220. Uh, Velasquez, career 184 hitter. Urshela is beat up. Higashioka can't hit either. That's four of your nine guys that aren't real good hitters. If you can control them, you start to limit the chances. If, you, if the bottom of the order can't get on, you're limiting the chances for the top of the order to come up with guys on base. Aaron Judge is hitting second. If six through nine cannot get on base, there aren't a whole lot of guys on in front of Aaron Judge. So I think that the Sox can limit the traffic on the bases. Stanton has been raking lately. Judge, you know, last 12 games hitting 325. Those guys can beat you. The rest of the lineup, I don't think can. And I feel pretty good about Nathan Navaldi's ability. He led, you know, you know, I, wherever you stand on sabermetrics and numbers and all that, he led the American League, led all pitchers in wins above replacement. Nathan Navaldi had a great year. So he's the guy that can halt, you know, can halt this Yankees lineup. Travis up in Essex says, Brady, Say the Red Sox lose tonight. Do Sox fans consider this a successful year, considering they were not expected to do much this year? You have to consider this Red Sox season a success, no matter what happens. Now, reaction tonight won't you know won't paint that picture. If you lose in the playoffs and you don't win a World Series and you lose to the Yankees and the Yankees go further than you, everybody is going to be upset in the moment. We're all going to be bothered by what transpired. But if the Red Sox lose tonight, when you step back and at the end of the season, the full, you know, when the World Series is over and it's headed into November and you're thinking about free agency, you're going to look back and be like, wow, we took a team that finished last 
in the pandemic-shortened season and was one of the worst teams in all of baseball, and we took a team that won 92 games, and that's pretty darn impressive. So you have no choice, as far as I'm concerned, but to consider this Red Sox season a success. It won't ease the pain of a potential loss tonight. It won't ease the pain of the fact that you, you know, blew a chance to 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 win the division and you were winning the division in July. It won't soften that stuff, but once the you know once the time has passed, you'll look back and realize this was a special year and it's a special year that came out of nowhere. And now we got a pretty good building block heading into this offseason. So JD Martinez isn't playing tonight with that sprained ankle. And I am shocked that he's not. I will preface this by saying of course, I don't know the severity of his injury. I'm not in the room, and I didn't talk to the trainers. Yada, yada, yada. But I will say this. In order to not play this game tonight, J.D. Martinez needs to be dealing with something quite serious. I don't want him to have serious problems with that ankle. I don't want him to have structural issues in his ankle. But that is what it would take for him, I would hope, to not be on the field tonight. This team needs him, and for him to not be there is a massive piece that's going away tonight. Again, I feel good about the Red Sox even despite him not being there, but I'd feel even better if he were there. This is a this was shocking news to me this morning when we found out that J.D. Martinez not only was not starting, because he can't play at all, He's not even on the roster. Like, he is literally ineligible to play tonight. He is not on this game's roster. And Martinez has two home runs against Garrett Cole. Martinez leads the American League in doubles this year. Even though he had a, we would say, somewhat of a down year or at least prolonged down stretches, J.D. Martinez not being there is a massive loss for the Red Sox. And we always hear athletes say in the regular season yeah I'm not going to play today but if it were the playoffs I'd be out there I'm not going to give it a go today but if it was October I'd be there well this is the playoffs and this is October and GD Martinez is not going I can't judge him because I don't know the full severity of the injury but like if he the Red Sox if they win this game would play on Thursday if Martinez would be good enough to play on Thursday, as far as I'm concerned, he's good enough to play today. Like the him not being here today, I feel like we better be dealing. You know, he's he's got to be dealing with something that would keep him out for weeks at this point. Because if he's going to be good enough to go in two days, I got to think he'd be good enough to go today. I don't want anything to be wrong with JD Martinez, but I mean, come on, like you're making 19 million dollars this year, you are making 19 million dollars this year if you can play you need to be playing so I'm just going on the assumption that you physically can't and won't be able to for a while because I'm not asking JD Martinez to steal bases I'm not asking for him to track down fly balls in the outfield I'm asking you to hit I'm asking you to stand there and hit against a guy you've homered off of a couple of times this year and the fact that he can't do that or even just be a pinch hitter later in the game shows me that it's got to be something serious because this team needs him. And if he's going to be able to play on Thursday, he should be able to play today. So I I don't know. I feel like I'm getting lost in the argument here. I don't want to call J.D. Martinez soft. That would be wrong because I don't know. But 
If he's not playing today, I expect that he must not be able to play for a while. Because if he plays on Thursday and he couldn't play today, I'm going to look back at it and go, well, why didn't he just play today? It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Dylan over in Essex says, Brady, without Martinez, who steps up for him? Well, as far as who's in the lineup itself, you know, Verdugo's in left, Renfro is in center, or I'm sorry, uh, Renfro is in right, Verdugo's in left, and Kike Hernandez is in center. So that's the outfield. But as for who needs to step up, I will, I'll go right to the DH. That's Kyle Schwarber. Without J.D. Martinez, Kyle Schwarber is the guy that needs to step up. It's going to have to be him. You acquired Kyle Schwarber for his bat. This is the day where Kyle Schwarber's bat needs to pay big dividends. He's been good. He's been good since they got him. But this is the day where that move has to pay off. I mean, much like we're saying that the Red Sox can't allow Stanton and Judge to beat them, Yankees fans are saying we can't allow Devers and Bogarts to beat you. It's got to be somebody else. That somebody else needs to be Kyle Schwarber. If Devers and Bogarts are going to get pitched around and pitched carefully and not get a lot of chances, then Kyle Schwarber is the guy who needs to make people pay. He has the ability to replicate Martinez's power and at this point may have more. He's got a great eye. He's extremely disciplined at the plate. Now, Cole has pitched well against Schwarber in the past. Schwarber's just 3-for-17, So, but because of that, because Cole has pitched well against Schwarber, Maybe Schwarber will get, you know, get challenged and get some fastballs. And he needs to meet that challenge. He needs to meet that challenge. Make him pay if he challenges him. Devers and Bogarts aren't going to get a chance to beat you or to beat the Yankees. Other guys got to step up. Kike Hernandez has hit well against Cole. Maybe he's someone who can step up. But Kyle Schwarber, to me, that's the guy who I think this team needs the most. And he's hitting leadoff today. 297 as a leadoff hitter this year with a 385 on on-base percentage. Brian Barrett of WEEI said he likes the move. I mean, his you know we get into some more analytical numbers, but he's got really good numbers from the leadoff spot. So, you know, and you get Kike out of the leadoff spot, maybe Kike, you know, Kike goes down and hits second and gives you a nice bridge until the big part of your lineup again. The Red Sox have some of what the Yankees have problem-wise, right? The bottom of the Red Sox lineup is not particularly strong right now either. They're going to need the top half of their lineup to produce, and I'm looking at Schwarber to be the guy who's the catalyst in the face of J.D. Martinez's absence. All right, moving on. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We did just talk with Bob Sosi, the voice of the New England Patriots, and uh, one of the things Bob talked to us about was the Patriots' offensive identity and offensive strategy. The other day against Tampa, the Pats ran the ball eight times. They ran for a cumulative negative one yard. Negative one yard rushing for the Patriots on Sunday. They threw it 40 times. So I asked Bob Sosi, I said, Mac Jones did well in this offense on Sunday. Now that we've seen that he can handle a volume passing attack, is this something the Patriots are going to go to more in the future? Here's what Bob Sosi had to say. And he said that's not a sustainable way to go about an entire season. I think there are a number of factors here at play Brady number one they face two very good rushing defenses New Orleans is outstanding Tampa Bay's even better nobody's really been able to run with any success 
against Tampa Bay. You didn't even see really the Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott and, uh, you know, their great backfield. Uh, yeah. You know, they, they didn't even try to run uh, against uh, the uh, Buccaneers in week one. The Rams certainly had problems trying to run the ball. So I think you look at that, but then you also have to praise and maybe reassess the Patriots' personnel in the backfield. There is That's a 39-second quote. It is loaded. There's a couple of things out of that that you need to take. From the very beginning, Bob said Josh McDaniels spoke today. And he said that's not a sustainable way to go about an entire season. That's not a sustainable way to go about an entire season. We will not, we cannot abandon the run game completely and just let Mac cook. That was good to hear because a lot of people now, I think, they just love passing in general over running. And then they see Mac Jones and how well he did on Sunday night, and they're like, well, just let the kid do that. I'm glad that the Patriots won't fall victim to that. There needs to be a balance within an offense, and you don't get that when you throw it 40 times and run eight or when you net negative one yards rushing. You don't achieve balance. I am glad that Mac Jones was able to handle everything on Sunday. He handled a lot of adversity. But that handling was born out of necessity. It was not born out of desire. And I'm glad the Patriots recognized that. You need balance. You need to be able to move the ball. You need to be able to diversify the offense. I mean, Mac Jones has thrown the ball the sixth most times in the league. The sixth most times, six most passes attempted of anybody is Mac Jones. I don't think that that was the plan heading into this season. The Pats need to diversify the offense. They need balance in the offense. They need to get back to running the football and running with an attitude, and they need their offensive line to step up. And another reason why they can't pass it 40, 50 times a game, because Mac Jones needs to be kept upright. And the more times he goes back to throw, the more times he gets hit. We like the kid, right? We'd like him to stay in one piece. Let's run the football a little bit and not have him throw it 40 times a game. Part two of what Bob said in the middle of that quote is he spoke about the defenses the Patriots have played. It's been hard to run. They had to abandon the run against the Saints and against the Bucks. That's true. Saints didn't allow a 100-yard rusher for like three seasons until late last year. It's a very difficult task. So I don't blame the Patriots for having issues in the run game the last two weeks. But the offensive line, as I just said, has been completely problematic. We expected this line to be a strength, and we just haven't seen it in the run game or in the pass game, and that needs to get cleaned up. This identity, this offensive identity should have been bully people on the interior, own the line of scrimmage, run the football, put ourselves in second and three constantly, and let Mac make plays there in easy down and distances. It's not easy to play from second and 14, which is what the Patriots have been in far too often. The offensive line has been leaky. Trent Brown has missed three games. Micah Wayne, who got benched. Isaiah Wynn has been beaten. The Pats need to correct this. And by the way, it's not going to get easier because Isaiah Wynn and Micah Wayne just placed on the COVID-19 list. We don't know how long they'll be out. If they're vaccinated, two negative tests in a 24-hour span, boom and back. If they're unvaccinated, they're out 10 days at minimum. So we're going to find out here soon what their vaccination status is because it's going to be dependent on, you know, if we see them at practice or not. But 
Pat's offensive line, they haven't been able to run the football because they haven't been able to block very well. That is a problem as well. And the last thing that Bob said, guys, can we play the very end of the quote? So have to praise and maybe reassess the Patriots personnel in the backfield. We have to reassess the personnel in the backfield, a.k.a. we thought the running backs and the running room was good. Maybe they're not. Maybe that's why they're not running the ball well. And this is a home run from Bob in a lot of ways. That's a home run little soundbite. And I think for the most part, it's exactly right. I'm starting to get the impression that a lot of the Patriots' good run game last year was born out of having Cam Newton. The Patriots last year were dominant in the run game. Couldn't play defense. Couldn't throw. But they were dominant in the run game. And I'm beginning to think that that is directly attributed to Cam Newton. There's his his actual running ability. And then there's the fear of his running ability that was put into defenses. That was part of the package last year. And when you took that away, you took away some of the fabric of the run game. We just attributed it and said the Patriots will run the football well. Well, they ran the football well last year in part, in large part, because they had Cam Newton. Cam could run it directly, and the threat of Cam running it opened up the door for other pieces. So Cam's gone. That's one notch lower. Sony Michelle gets traded. That's two notches lower. James White gets injured. That's three notches lower. And then Ramondre Stevenson and J.J. Taylor can't hold on to the football. So that turns into, you know, now they've got the fumble rooskies. And now you're relying on Brandon Bolden, a special teams player, and Damian Harris. You look around the room and you're like, what happened to this great rushing attack? Well, you traded away Michelle. Cam, Cam got cut. It's not as easy. It's not as easy as it was. So I think there's a lot in there to what Bob said. Patriots will continue to run the football, and that's good. They need to. But in order to do so, they need to fix the offensive line. And they also, in my opinion, need to figure out how to compensate for Cam Newton not being there, for Sony Michelle not being there, for James White being hurt. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We do this every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Here's what we know about New England. Their running game production, their offensive line, their special teams, and their defense will all be top five. And they have the best coach in the game. They're going to win a bunch of games. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. After the game the other night in Foxborough, Bucks quarterback, former pass quarterback Tom Brady, talked about his future a little bit. It's been a great stadium, you know, for me for a long time. So I don't know what the future holds. You know, obviously there could be an opportunity to come back here. So we'll see. I, I feel like I'll always be a part of this community. And There could always be an opportunity to come back here. What did Tom Brady mean by that? There could always be an opportunity to come back here, meaning to Foxborough, meaning to New England. I think you're going to see Tom Brady retire as a Patriot. We don't know when that will be. It might be in 2065, but I think when Tom Brady retires, he will do so as a member of the Patriots. Don't get your hopes up. I don't think he's coming to play here, but I think it's going to be a one-day ceremonial thing. I think Tom Brady retires a Patriot, and I think he's thinking that way. I think he's thinking that on his mind, and it will be special when it happens. 
a lot of people don't care about the one-day ceremony and they think it's just a PR thing and a chance for a picture. I like it. To me, it means something. It's, it's a romantic gesture, and it shows the bond between a franchise and a player. I like it. I think Brady wants it. I think Robert Kraft wants it. And I think after this weekend, there's enough agreement there among the parties that Bill Belichick will want it too. I think this weekend was important for the healing of that particular Patriots family. The sides can say whatever they want, and they can say the books are wrong and the reports are inaccurate. They can say whatever they want. But the bottom line is this. There was a tangible fracture in that relationship among Tom Brady, among Bill Belichick, and among Robert Kraft, and they all had some part to play in it. And this weekend, Brady and Belichick had it out one last time on the field. And now, barring the Super Bowl, they'll never face each other again. There won't be any more occasions for animosity. There will only be occasions for positivity. When Brady gets inducted to the Patriots Hall of Fame, when they both get inducted into the into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, when uh, you know when Brady does the one day ceremonial retirement, there's no more chances for animosity. There's no more reason for it. And I think the sides recognize that. So it was time to bury the animosity. And I think they did that or started to do that on Sunday night. They spoke beneath the bowels of Gillette Stadium. And they did so for 20 minutes in private. And I think that that conversation likely and importantly started the reconciliation process. And I think we're getting towards a spot where that healing can truly begin. I think Sunday night offered some good closure for Brady. Belichick probably already had it because he was thinking about the business side of things only, but I think Sunday was some good closure for Brady, and now we can all move forward. We can stop the stories. We can stop the, the reports. We can stop a lot of things, and I think those guys can start to move on as well, and they're going to be linked. Again, the animosity is over. It's only going to be positive links Moving forward, and I think it started in a big way on Sunday night after the game. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, the most important player for the Red Sox in tonight's wild card game against the Yankees is who? I'll tell you who I think it is. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, Red Sox and Yankees tonight, playoff baseball from Fenway, a wild card game. We'll have it for you with the pregame show beginning officially at 7.08. So what I'll do is I'll go up until 7, do the CBS News update, and then I'll come back with the lineups, etc. at about 7.05. The show today is brought to you in part by Orange Theory Fitness. Orange Theory Fitness is a high-intensity high intensity rather interval training program based out of South Burlington. It's, so it is a gym, but you go there, and it's different than any other gym that you've been in. So you don't you don't just go in and do your own thing. You're on a strict program. You've got a great coach there who helps lead it to you. The class has energy to it. So you walk in, you have a plan. They tell you the plan. They tell you how to do the exercises one hour in and out. That's what I like about it 
the most. If I try to work out on my own, I don't really get a whole lot accomplished. I don't have a structure. I can't think of the workout. How, what weights do I need? Everything you need is there for you. You get in, you get out. And they do a great job of helping you compete with yourself. I was there this morning and I reached some levels on some exercises I never reached before because you just kind of get pushed in just the right way between the energy in the room, the music that's played, and kind of the funness of the class. So, uh, And I had a buddy in the class with me, so I had a chance to uh, you know, show off a little bit for them. So it was fun uh, to be there. I encourage you to check them out on Facebook at Orange Theory Fitness in Burlington. So Red Sox-Yankees tonight, it's pretty simple for me. The most important player for the Red Sox tonight is Nathan Evaldi. I told you Kyle Schwarber needs to step up and fill in for J.D. Martinez, and that is true. But Evaldi needs to carry this team tonight. The team tonight will go as far as Evaldi goes, and it's that simple. Because the Red Sox bullpen is by far, by far, the biggest worry for this team. Even more than not having J.D. Martinez. So the best course of action for the Sox tonight, if they want to beat the Yankees, is simply not need the bullpen. They need length from Evaldi. He's got to go like at least six innings as far as I'm concerned, and preferably he's got to go into the seventh, if not completing seven full. And seemingly everyone agrees with me on this because I have a treasure trove of audio here. Experts from all over the country all over different networks, all of them complaining about the Red Sox bullpen. Guys, let's just line them up. June Lee of ESPN. I think it's the Yankees just because I think that their their bullpen is in a much stronger place than, than the Red Sox are. Okay, the Yankees bullpen is in a much stronger place than the Red Sox. Who else we got? Oh, Jeff Passan of ESPN. What the Yankees have that the Red Sox don't is bullpen. Okay, another guy who hates the Red Sox bullpen. One more? Do we have one more? Oh, Dave Schoenfield of ESPN. The Red Sox, meanwhile, I think all you need to know is to close out that win over the Nationals, they had to use two starters, Eduardo Rodriguez and Nick Pavetta, in relief. So the back of their bullpen, very shaky. Are you getting the picture? Everybody hates the Red Sox bullpen. Everybody thinks the Yankees' bullpen is better. So the best course of action tonight for the Red Sox, not to use the bullpen. And Schoenfield was right there, by the way. They needed to use Erod and Pavetta just to beat the lowly Nationals. Like, that's how little the Red Sox trust their bullpen. That's why I think Ivaldi is the most important player on this team. You can't afford to go to the bullpen you know, at all, but especially early. Like, Who in that bullpen do you really trust right now? 802-585-3026. Who in the Red Sox bullpen do you trust? I bet you the answer is nobody or maybe one person. Because let's just run through the list. Last five appearances, Garrett Richards, ERA, 12. I don't trust him. Adam Adovino, last five outings. ERA, 12. Three home runs allowed. I don't trust him. So we can't go to Richards. He's been our kind of bridge guy. Can't go to him. Can't go to Adovino. Been a late-inning guy. Can't go to him. Josh Taylor just came off the injured list today. I don't really feel all that confident in a guy who hasn't pitched in a while and has back problems, so I'd like to avoid him. Garrett Whitlock, of course, has been great. I love him. 
He just came off the injured list on Sunday, has never pitched in the playoffs. I'd like to avoid that as well. So that's four guys that we can't use. Hirokazu Sawamura got left off the roster entirely, so he's gone. Darwin's and Hernandez got left off the roster entirely. He's gone. At this point, who's left? Chris Sale's not there. They left him off the roster. He's unavailable. So that's gone. Like, who is left? Pavetta, uh, Erod, two starters again, and Austin Davis. Like, is that all that you can go to if you're the Red Sox? Do you trust Matt Barnes? You can't. You don't trust anybody out of the bullpen. If you don't trust anybody out of the bullpen, then you can't go to the bullpen. And if you can't go to the bullpen, then your starter's got to give length, real length. Nathan Devaldi's got to go six. And frankly, he's got to go into the seventh as well. Keep a low pitch count, economical with his pitches, get outs early, dominate the bottom of the lineup. It all has to happen because he needs to give this team length. If he's taken out in the second inning, the Red Sox are screwed. They'd likely be down if he got taken out in the second inning. And then with everybody else who I just told you you can't trust, things would likely get much, much worse. Now, I think Ivaldi is the guy to do it. This team needs length from its starter, and I think Ivaldi is the guy to do it. He throws strikes. Very low walk rate, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, the lowest walk rate in the American League. So I think he, he will not be a guy saddled at 84 pitches in the third inning. I don't think that's going to happen. He throws strikes. He gets ahead. He can control counts, and I think he can cut through the bottom of that order. And frankly, I love his attitude. He's, to me, the perfect guy to go deep into this game. Here's what he said yesterday. It's the competitive nature. You know, it's like you want, I, at least for me, like I want, to be, I want to be in these situations. I want to compete against the best. You know, I want to compete against the teams that are the hottest at, the, you know, at that time. Uh, I feel like... Especially with pitching, you can you can really motivate the team and get them going to move on to the next round, things like that. You know, you go out there and you perform well. And I love I love the attitude. You know, Chris Sale gets and appropriately gets gets a lot of praise for his bulldog type nature. He gets a lot of praise for the snarl, for the attitude, for the workman like lunch pail attitude, and he and he deserves it. But Nathan Evaldi has that too. Now he's quieter than sale he's less demonstrative than sale but he's not less competitive this year I really watched and because he was available the whole year we were able to really watch Evaldi he's got a I don't want to say it's not a scowl he's got a focus on the mound that I just love you can tell he's not here to mess around he's coming after you I throw 97, 98 miles an hour. I'm going to put it in the strike zone, and you're going to have to hit it. And then I'm going to throw you a little slider, a little changeup. He's had a split before. He's got good off-speed pitches that he can go to when he can throw them all. Between his attitude and his actual ability and his history against the Yankees, I feel very, very good about Nathan Evaldi tonight. And it's a good thing I do because, like I said, I don't feel good about anybody in the bullpen. I mean, Austin Davis right now is sadly the most reliable reliever this team has, and the Yankees don't feature a whole lot of lefties. So, like, I don't know that I would need Austin Davis a lot. 
The Yankees are going to play Gardner. They're going to play Gallo, and they're going to play Rizzo, and they've got them strategically kind of split up throughout the lineup. There's not a whole lot of lefties there. So best case for tonight is just have Evaldi go deep into the game. Luckily, I think that he can. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, we haven't done this in a while. Crazy Twitter takes. We're doing a crazy Twitter take today, people. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. All right, crazy Twitter takes today belongs to noted Patriots hater. Once again, come on down, Nick Wright, Fox Sports 1. That this Patriots team is no good. That they have three times this year held their opponent in <clears throat> the teens and lost. Like they, 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 or twice they've held their opponent in the teens and lost. The other time was getting blown out by the Saints. That in their losses, their offense, let me give it to you, has scored a resounding 16 13 and 17 points. All right. There's got to be one in every room. Do we think the Patriots are no good? 802 585 3026. I like Nick Wright. I've told you this before. I think he's a, I think he's a very good radio host. I don't love a lot of what he has to say about the Patriots. I don't agree with that. I do not think the Patriots are no good. I will concede. The Patriots are making mistakes that no good teams make. That is fair to say. But I don't think it's fair to say the Patriots themselves are no good. You have to look at this team through a different prism. Stop looking at them like it's AFC title game or bust and start looking at them through the prism of growth, which they're showing, and they showed great growth on Sunday night in a lot of areas. When I think about... When I think about teams that are truly no good, truly awful in the NFL, as Nick Wright says the Patriots are, I think about teams who are simply devoid of talent. The Patriots are not devoid of talent. Matthew Judon has been a stud. The secondary, even without Stephon Gilmore, has held up nicely. And the quarterback has shown growth each week, too. I think there are reasons to be excited. This isn't the Lions. The Lions are devoid of talent. The Texans, who we'll see on Sunday... They're devoid of talent. The Patriots are not devoid of talent. Now, they are making bad mistakes. I, I, will, I will concede that. But awful teams in the NFL have no talent. That's one reason teams are awful. And the other reason teams are awful is they have a very combustible locker room. And that's not the Patriots either. You will see teams in the NFL that simply fall apart. Ego jealousy, uh, poor leadership, a bunch of you know a bunch of bad guys in the locker room. That can rip a team apart and make a team awful. Patriots don't have that. The Patriots have a locker room filled with high character guys, a good leadership group, a good core. This team will stay together. This team will stay together. Matthew Slater, Devin McCourty, Dante Hightower, there's a lot of leadership on this team. 
we will not see this team be fractured in the way that you see other organizations fractured. That is not going to happen. So, yeah, the record says one in three, but I think the glass is looking up. The team has shown improvement. The new guys are all starting to get involved. We kind of wondered where the new guys were in the first couple weeks. Hunter Henry, touchdown. Jonu Smith, touchdown. Matthew Judon, beast. Jalen Mills showed up. Mac Jones played well. The new guys are now contributing. Awful teams don't show growth. Awful teams go up and down and often regress. The Patriots, I think, are showing real growth and have real progress. And I think there are reasons to be excited. So, yeah, Nick Wright, crazy Twitter take. The Patriots are not simply no good. They are making mistakes that are no good, but they are not devoid of talent and they are not devoid of leadership. And that's what truly awful teams have or don't have in the NFL. Separate, real quick, while I'm talking about the Patriots, and as the show kind of you know continues to wind down here, I want to go back to something that we said yesterday about Mac Jones and leadership. I heard a quote yesterday from Brock Heward, former NFL quarterback, and now he does some broadcasting. And he said, you can't fool the locker room. And that really resonated with me because of Mac Jones. That tells you how much of an impact that Mac Jones is making. Guys, do we have the cut from David Andrews from yesterday? Do we have that? Oh, we do? Good. Yeah, you know, um, I feel like every time I sit up here, I say something. You know, But I think he just keeps showing. Um, he's got some guts. Uh, it's an honor to get to play with a, you know, a guy like that. And- it's an honor to get to play with a guy like that. Players can fool us. Coaches can fool us. They, they can fool fans. They can fool the media. They can put on a persona. They can be phony. But you cannot fool your teammates. And Mac Jones is just making a good impression on his teammates. And I think that this team is part of the good leadership council. They'll continue to battle with him and for him. Good teams don't have that. I'm sorry, bad teams don't have that. Look at the Jaguars right now with Urban Meyer. Look at that situation. Urban Meyer reportedly being laughed at by his team. That's a guy who four games in has already lost the locker room. You can't fool the locker room. They've seen through Urban Meyer, and that's a locker room that will split and will be fractured. That's what bad teams have. That won't happen to the Patriots. They may not win their next 10 games. They may not finish. You see, one and three now. They may not finish uh, 13 and 0 through the rest of the season. They may not. But they are going to stay together and they are going to continue playing hard and they're going to continue getting better. This Patriots team will be better in a month than they are today. They'll be better in two months than they are in one month. This is not a group of talentless bums. They have holes. All teams do somewhere. But it's not talentless bums. Are they the best team in the league? No. Are they no good, as Nick Wright says? Not. Nah, I don't believe that either. Ralph up in New York says, uh, Nick is not always right. Meaning Nick Wright is sometimes wrong. And Nick Wright is very good at his job. And he got a reaction out of me. Like, he knows how to push the buttons. And that is good. And I applaud him for that as a technical radio person. 
if you could give a seminar on how to host Sports Talk Radio, Nick Wright would be really good at doing it. I just disagree with that take. The Patriots are 1-3, but, I mean, look, look, let's look at the rest of the NFL teams right now. Let's look at the NFL standings. Give me the other 1-3 teams. Find me the other 1-3 teams. Are the Patriots better right now than the Dolphins? I would say yes. Patriots did lose to the Dolphins by a point. I think the Pats are better. Clearly, the Dolphins are regressing. They were shut out by the Bills. They were just beaten by the winless Colts. So, Pats better than the 1-3 Dolphins. Are they better than the Jets? Jets are 1-3. Pats smoked them. Yes, they're better. 1-3 Pittsburgh. Well, Pittsburgh can't seem to do a whole lot of anything. So, yeah, Pittsburgh has scored even less points than the Patriots this year. Pittsburgh beat Buffalo and can't score since. I would say the Patriots are better. Are they better than the Texans? We'll find out. I would say yes. Are they better than the Colts? I would say yes. Are they better than Jacksonville? I would say yes. So the Pats are 1-3, but some of these other teams are truly talentless in some spots. The Pats are better than them. The Vikings are probably the best 1-3 team, and then we go to the Patriots. And then we go to the Pats. So, yeah, Nick Wright, not always right. Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right. The key to the game tonight for the Red Sox is what? I'll tell you. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball about 15 minutes from now. We'll bring you the Sox lineups after 7 o'clock. So the show will traditionally end here at 7 o'clock like usual, but I'll come back at 7.05 just to give you the lineups here. 7.08 is the official pregame show. Just after 8 o'clock is the first pitch. For me, the key to the game tonight for the Red Sox is score early. And it sounds cliche, because we'd all love to score early every night, but it absolutely applies here. Scoring early tonight would be massive. It would obviously get the crowd on your side, but it would get and it would give you a chance to play a little more loose, but it also may be your best chance to seize the game. If you can put three or four runs up on Garrett Cole, then that just may, as crazy as it sounds, give you better odds than against the bullpen. It might be easier to score against Cole than it will be against that Yankees bullpen because if Cole goes six and then turns it over to the pen, you're cooked. You are cooked. I told you about 20 minutes ago, I think the Red Sox bullpen is the biggest worry for the Red Sox. Well, number two on the biggest worry list might be the Yankees bullpen. Just if this becomes a game where the bullpens are heavily involved then the Yankees will win that battle. The Red Sox need to get to Cole early. Get up 3-0. Get up 4-1. to one. And then you might be able to go scoreless the rest of the way against that bullpen. But that bullpen is dominant. If, it's, if you're down and then the bullpen for the Yanks gets the ball, you're not winning the game in all likelihood. If you are even and it becomes a battle of whose bullpen can hold, it's probably going to be the Yankees' bullpen. Just how good is the bullpen? Well, Tim Kirchner of ESPN, how about you answer that? 
but anything's possible in one game. But the Yankees bullpen is really, really good now. They can go eight or nine deep with dominant pitching out there. Jonathan Weisiga yesterday was absolutely overpowering, 99 miles an hour with arm side run, great movement. This is the difference, is the Yankees threw six shutout innings out of their bullpen yesterday, and I'm just not sure the Red Sox have the same type of arms out of their bullpen. They don't. If this becomes a game where the Yankees' bullpen is tasked with holding a lead or keeping a game even, then they're going to be able to do it better than the Red Sox are. The Red Sox need to score early. As, as good as Garrett Cole is, it's probably easier to score on him than it is to score on the Yankees' bullpen. You've heard the names. Loisaga, King, Chapman. Now Luis Severino back off Tommy John surgery is a one-to-two winning weapon for Aaron Boone in that bullpen. There's a lot of firepower there, and the Red Sox will be better served to go against Cole, who has struggled against the Sox, has struggled at Fenway, and has struggled over the last couple of weeks. The show, by the way, brought to you by uh, Evan Holstrom Racing online at EvanHolstromRacing.com. He's a driver in the Pro All-Star Series for the Super Late Models on our podcast channel today, we've got interviews with Tom Brennan, former Catamount Hoops coach, and also Gary Sheffield Jr., who is the son of Gary Sheffield, 500 home run club. Gary Sheffield, you know, debatable Hall of Famer in a lot of circles. And I was talking to Gary Sheffield Jr. about his dad's career. And I said to myself, I said to him, who do you identify your dad's career with most? I think he played for nine teams. Like, who do you think of your dad with first? And he said it was the New York Yankees. I idolized those guys and what they were doing because Derek Jeter and all, a lot of those Yankees that I grew up watching were like gods. So me being able to get into the clubhouse was just an amazing experience. He also said that he was like 12 or 13, so he was at the age where he could really appreciate you know, his father playing in the big leagues. When I think of Gary Sheffield, I think of him with the Florida Marlins. Like the 97 Marlins World Championship team Jeff Conine, Levon Hernandez, Craig Council, Kilvio Veras. Like, that's who I think of Gary Sheffield with. He played for the Brewers. Let's see. He played for the Brewers. He played for the Padres. He played for the Marlins. He played for the Braves. He played for the Dodgers. He played for the Yankees. He played for the Mets. He played for the Tigers. That's eight teams. Guys, help me out. Am I forgetting? Am I forgetting one more? Let's look it up here real quick. Uh, nope, okay, it was just the eight teams. It was not nine, it was eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight. Eight teams, okay, close enough. But Gary Sheffield Jr. was a great interview. I encourage you guys uh, to go and listen to that as well as our Bob Sosi interview. What we're going to do, step aside here, get the national news update from CBS News, and then we will come back with uh, the lineups. Red Sox baseball. 7.08 with the pregame show. We'll have the lineups for you at 7.05. So a five-minute national news update from CBS, and then we will come back with more. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com.